The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Let's pray. It's a humbling thing, Lord, to come before you. It's humbling to try to teach your word to the people you love so much. I pray that your spirit would be with us and we would have a, a real sense of your presence, your holiness, and your compassion for us. That you see us as we are and you're filled with deep love for us. And that we would be moved and amazed by that. So help us now, Lord. Help me, please. Help me to teach this faithfully. Help us all, myself certainly included, to hear what you have to say, to see you, Lord Jesus, um, to hear your to hear your challenge, and to be changed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you remember what it's like to feel compassion? You know that word, compassion? Uh, you probably know there's a refugee crisis around the world. Um, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are displaced from their homes. They don't have what they need to provide for their families. How do you feel about that? Uh, I got a, a, like a guilty confession for you. Sometimes when I hear about the evils and sufferings of the world, I'm kind of like, it's too bad. And then I move on to something else. Does that ever happen to you? You kind of shake your head and you're like, well, it's awful. Oh, well. I wouldn't call it apathy. Um, maybe distance. I mean, there is, there is something to the fact, right, that you and I don't have the strength to face up to all the evil and injustice in the world. You, you couldn't do it. You couldn't sense it all. You couldn't care for it all. I'm not big enough for that. It would crush me. But did you see the picture of that little boy on CNN? The little refugee boy? He's three or four years old, lying face down on the shore, dead. He died during his family's flea, a refugee family. Uh, for many around the world, that picture stirred something. It took the Syrian refugee crisis from, boy, that's too bad, too. Oh, come on. I think really the difference is compassion. Compassion. It's, um, it takes, takes you away from just kind of shrugging your shoulders about something, and it brings this desire to, to act or to do something or to try something. Now, by the way, short uh, commercial advertisement. Next week, our special offering, we're giving to... The Syrian refugee crisis. Now, I know that's going to be like the teeniest, eensiest, tiniest little drop in the largest cavern. But we do what we can, right? Let's do what we can. Let's give generously. Let's feel compassion. Can you imagine what if it was your family? I have a little boy that age. What if that was my boy? Compassion takes you away from kind of like, yeah, that's awful. Don't know what I can do, too. I got to do something. Compassion hurts with sympathy to the point that action is taken. Compassion. If you're new with us, we're continuing our revitalized series. For several weeks, 
we've been focusing on, on trying to have a new energy and new life in our relationships with God. And for several weeks, we've been kind of relearning the power of prayer. We all know that sometimes prayer just feels difficult, it feels boring, it feels lifeless. But man, this series, I don't know about you, it's been really good for me, really good to be refreshed in what fellowship with our God can do in our lives. Um, We've covered a lot of things, praying through conflict, praying through anxiety, but this week is different. You know, in a way, it's kind of too simple to say this, but in a way, we spent time looking up, looking at God and what it means to respond to him and who he is in all of life. We've also looked in, we've lo- we looked at ourselves, our, like our anxiety, for instance, our relationships. But this week is different when it comes to prayer and what the Lord has for us in prayer. He's pushing us to look out. So I've got three steps to take this morning as we think about prayer and compassion. Number one, we need to see Jesus on this page. See him again, who he is, what he's doing, and why. Then number two, we're going to hear his challenge. It's almost like a dare, I feel like, to pray for something specific. And then we're going to see the surprising answer to this kind of prayer. So see Jesus, hear his challenge, see the answer. Number one, let's, let's just look Look together at Jesus. Look at chapter 9, verse 35. It's a real simple summary of what Jesus spent his time doing, and I think there's two major points. Verse 35 we see, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. What's that next thing? Teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So there's the first thing he's doing. Everywhere he goes, he's teaching and he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Second, and what else is he doing? Healing every disease and every affliction. So two major things, Matthew summarizing, this is what Jesus was up to. He had a verbal ministry, activity, work. He's teaching, he's proclaiming the gospel. Second, he had a, what do you want to call it, miraculous ministry, a service, a love ministry, a Change your circumstance, ministry, healing. So let's just dig our toes into this a little bit. Teaching, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, synagogues were like little local churches all over the place. There'd be one nearly every village, supposedly. And historians tell us a major reason they met was to hear the scriptures explained. Okay? So if if you're a Jew, you believe that what we call the Old Testament, that's the Bible, That is God's word. And so this is bigger than just, oh, we have a holy book and we hear from it sometimes. This is a whole whole way of viewing life, that there is one holy God who made everything. He made it good. It fell into sin, but he's going to fix it. We're waiting for his king. What does it mean to live as his people? It's a whole way to see life. And in all honesty, it's the the true bedrock of life. I mean, you, you can't. This, is, this explains meaning in life. How are you going to have meaning in life without God and, and the authority of his word? This explains morality. How are you going to have a real and true morality that you're not just making up without the authority of God and his word? So this is an explanation of life itself from the authority of God's word in the scriptures. This is the source of meaning, wisdom, and joy. Jesus is teaching God's word. He's telling everyone what life is about. He's also proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom 
And we got some churchified words there. Gospel, what's that mean? It means good news. Okay, so you should hear it. When you hear it, you should be like, oh, that's like too good to be true. That's amazing. The good news, he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And we could spend a lot of time going through the prophets and what the, what the good news that is to be proclaimed that throughout the mess of the world, God is still king. He reigns. He hasn't forgotten his people. He's not done. He's still working. He's still working. And a major way, the major way he's going to work is he's going to send his king. That's what we call the Christ. Right? Remember, Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Um, it's his title. The promised divine king who's going to come, he's going to save the gospel of the kingdom. And so when Jesus comes, he's preaching, the king is here. God's kept his promises. The king is here, and it's good news. It's good news what he's going to do for us. He reigns, and his king is here to save. And, of course, the king is Jesus. So Jesus is teaching life from God's word, and he's proclaiming himself as the good news. Here I am, the king who saves He's also healing every disease and every affliction. Now, can you just put yourself in this? Maybe some of you are skeptics and you're like, I'm not sure if I believe in that. Okay. But just imagine it for a moment. What it would be like for Jesus to nearly wipe out all sickness in an entire area within three years of his ministry. Several times the gospel says he would go to all these places and heal everyone. Everyone. Can you imagine? No one's sick anymore. You know, it's, it's interesting to, to see that historically his enemies never said, no, Jesus never did any miracles. They could only say, well, Jesus is like a, a Satanist witch doctor. That's how he does it. But you see here the grain of truth, right? What could they not get over? His miracles. It's like my sorry illustration. I've used too many times and I'm going to use it again. You remember the great miracle worker from Bakersfield about 30 years ago? Remember him? No? How come? There wasn't one, right? That's why you don't remember. How can Matthew write this gospel, the, the news of Jesus, 60 years or so, or 60 AD maybe, maybe later, okay? 30, 40 years after Jesus and be like, hey, everybody, read this. Remember the miracle worker who healed every disease in the neighborhood? You remember him? They'd all be like, no, throw this book away, except they were like, yeah, we remember. We remember. It's eyewitness testimony. It's in a crowd. He did miracles. Amazing. He's healing everyone. And I think there's at least three kind of uh, principles or purposes to grab onto behind these miracles. Number one, these miracles prove who he is. They prove who he is. You know, imagine walking into the synagogue and you're like, hey, I'm God's promised king. What's up? And they're like, you, we're not sure if your mom was married when you were born, right? That's, what, that's one thing they had issues with. Secondly, you're just the son of a carpenter. You're not fabulous. Why should we believe you're the promised king? Oh, let me heal everyone real quick. What does that do for you? Oh, oh, I'm the promised king. No, really? Heal everyone. Oh, it proves who he is. It proves who he is. And when people say to me, why do you believe in the Bible, or why do you believe in Jesus, or what he said, or what he did? I mean, I got it. Here's my answer. Jesus rose from the dead. That's the miracle. It proves who he is. He rose from the dead. 
Second, the miracles, I mean, it's just real simple. It proves God's love, doesn't it? It proves his love, his compassion, his deep compassion for the poor, the needy, the nobodies, the messed up, the, the people nobody cares about. These were the people Jesus went to. I mean, he went and he would touch the leper. If you were a leper back then, you don't get touched. How horrible would it be to never, ever be touched by another human? I mean, babies will die from this. But if you're a leper, you can't be touched. And Jesus, he'll come up, put his, hand, put his hands on them. <gasps> the, the Christ is touching me and heal them. It's the love of God cares. He cares about our hard circumstances. He sees. He cares. It's proof of his love. Third, so number one, it proves who Jesus is. It's proof of God's love, and it's also an appetizer for what's coming. This is what we need to grab onto. It's an appetizer for what's coming. Uh, this world and its sickness and its wicked, wickedness and its chaos is not the way it's supposed to be, and it's not the way it will always be. It will not always be this way. In fact, there will be longer times when the world is not this way than that it is this way. Do you get what I'm saying? When we're in the new earth for forever and forever times two, and we're like, remember back then to that? Kind of, it, was, it was okay, but it's kind of crappy, sick place we lived at for this long. You're right. For this long. I said, oh, glad we're here now. It won't always be this way. So the miracles are a foretaste. This is what Jesus is going to do when he comes back. He's going to heal it all. He's going to redeem it all. It's all going to be gone. It shows what's coming. So this is what Jesus is doing, teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and affliction. Do you ever wonder what this would look like? What would it look like? Well, I've got a hint for you. You could read the gospel of Matthew and see what it would look like. Chapter 9 itself has so many examples. I'll just tell you the story real quick of verses 1 to 8. Chapter 9, so Jesus is teaching in a house, and the house is so full nobody can get in. And this paralyzed man who has amazing friends, and they say, we're going to get you to Jesus. And so they carry him on his mat, paralyzed. He's got nothing. He's a beggar. He's got nothing, but he's got great friends. And they bring him over. They say, we're going to bring you to Jesus. They get there. The house is so full they can't even get to the door because everybody's in there listening to Jesus. So if I'm the paralyzed guy, I'm like, guys, thanks for trying, you know. Thanks for trying. And they're like, oh, no, we're not done. So they climb on the roof. Now, it wouldn't work too well on this roof, but can you imagine? <laughs> the saw comes through. The sawdust is falling on your head. You're like, I'm trying to listen, but what the? You know, and then you see sunlight through the roof. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, with the, you know, with the angels of glory, a paralyzed, a paralyzed man on his bed <laughs> floats down before you. This is it. Nobody's sleeping during this sermon, right? This is interesting. What happens now? And then Jesus, this is the way he taught. Oh, I don't think he was ever boring. This is the way he taught. He looks at the paralyzed man. Now, now, by the way, we all know what the paralyzed man is there for, right? I'm looking for a new devotional book, Jesus. You got anything good for me? No. The paralyzed man floats down. We all know what he wants. And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. If you're the paralyzed person, listen, I know it's churchy and wonderful to be forgiven, but really, isn't that kind of a letdown? It sh maybe it shouldn't be. Isn't that kind of a letdown? Your sins are forgiven. And if you're in the audience, 
You know, some of, some of the more social justice-minded of us are like, Jesus, how can you be so religious without showing any compassion? We're mad at him, right? How can you do that? How can you say your sins are forgiven when you haven't helped him? Jesus isn't worried about that. And then the more religious ones, that's who we hear of. How can he say the man's forgiven? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus can't say that. Jesus is teaching. And he says, well, I think I have this on a slide for you, Matthew 9, verse 6. But that you may know, remember miracles prove something, that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Verse 7, so great. What happened? And he rose and went home. <laughs> when the crowd saw this, how'd they feel? They were afraid. Why would it scare you? Because Jesus can forgive your sins or not. And he's strong enough to make a paralyzed man walk. Wow. That's one, that's one example of what was he doing? Teaching and proclaiming the gospel. I can forgive you, Jesus is saying. And one example of the miracle, healing, to show who he is. You know, there's all these debates about, well, should Christians preach the gospel or should Christians serve and love people? As if you could ever divide the two. You never get the dichotomy with Jesus. He's never like, should I just teach today or should I love people too? You know, uh, he always teaches in love, and he heals with, for the truth. He serves for the truth, and he teaches in love. They're together. Because, as we're going to see, why does Jesus do it? Back to verse 36. When he saw the crowds, how does Jesus feel? Matthew 9, 30, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion for them. Hurts with sympathy to the point that action is taken. The Greek word for compassion is funny, splanknon, something like that. And it means loins or guts. He had guts for them. It hurt. He felt it. You remember what it's like to feel compassion. Oh, I can't leave. I gotta do something. It hurts with sympathy to the point that action is taken. Jesus hurts for the crowd. Let's just pause for a minute. Does Jesus feel compassion for you? Who you are, where you are. Does he care? He feels compassion. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows what you, what you came out of, what you're trying to come out of. He hurts for you. To the point that he, he has acted and is acting and will act for you. Wow. The compassion for Jesus, from Jesus... But, of course, his sight and his compassion is deeper than just circumstances, like he did with the paralyzed guy. He didn't just say, be healed. He said, what? Your sins are forgiven. We have felt needs, and Jesus feels those felt needs, and he has compassion for us. And then we also have deep, utter, real needs, real needs. And your biggest need, well, this is the heart of his compassion. Look at verse 36. He saw the crowds. He had compassion on them, for them, because, because why? They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They're like sheep without a shepherd. A uh, funny story, there's this uh, 
periodical called The Peninsula. It's Qatar's leading English daily. Qatar, that's a country. And the title of this article is 400 Sheep Fall Off a Cliff in Turkey. This is good, right? This is good. Istanbul. Here's, here's, the, here's the synopsis. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey. Yes. Plunging to their deaths this week while shepherds looked on in dismay. <laughs> Come on, it's funny, right? The reporter saw their, she- their faces. <laughs> they looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 15 meters to their deaths in a ravine in the Van province near Iran. But they did break the fall of another 1,100 animals who survived. <laughs> doink, doink. Oh, my gosh. Newspaper report said yesterday, shepherds neglected the flock while eating breakfast, <laughs> leaving the sheep to roam free. That's too bad. The loss to local farmers was estimated at $74,000. <laughs> so this is a loving kind of like a, a backhanded compliment, a loving insult. When it, you may have so many things be put, you, you may have your th- life put together, you may be a leader, you may be brilliant, you may be talented, you may be wise by human standards, that's probably true of you. But when it comes to you and God, or you without God, you, the Bible says, you are like a sheep. And it doesn't mean, oh, you're cute and fluffy. Some of you are. It means you're helpless. It means you're helpless. It means you're terrible at being your own authority. You're terrible at knowing what life is for. You're terrible at knowing what decisions to make. You're terrible at living on your own. You you can't make it. You won't make it. Now, some of us in our pride, we're like, how dare you call me a sheep? Well, listen, it's not, you're not a sheep compared to me. I'm a sheep, okay? We're sheep and compared to our need for the one who made us, the one who rules. We're sheep, and without a shepherd, without a shepherd, we are lost. We're, we're going to the cliff. Biblically speaking, it's the cliff of our foolishness, our brokenness of being apart from God, without surrender, submission, to the shepherd that we need. It's the cliff of the judgment for our sin. God has a law and has a standard for how we should live, right? He does. Ten commandments are a great example. Thou shalt not lie. If we play that one just by itself, don't lie. Have you ever lied? Yeah, a couple million times. And then, and then the heart of it, why'd you lie? Why? Well, you had to assert yourself. You had to defend yourself. You had to establish yourself. You were fighting for self. See, you'd already break in the first commandment, no other gods. We're rebellious against God. We've broken God's standard. Heck, I've broken my own standard. You like it when people gossip about you. You ever heard what somebody said about you before? And you're like, can you get your knife out of my back? Then your friends turn around and you see some knives that belong to you. Haven't you done what you hate? I need somebody to save me. Without a shepherd, we're going towards the cliff. Destruction. I want to show you this old prophecy from the book of Micah. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. And it's part of this understanding that the king would come. Look what it says. 
Micah 5, 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, I think that's how you say that, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, of ancient days. So some ancient hero is going to come, and where is he going to be born? <laughs> oh, little town of Bethlehem. He's going to rule. Verse 4. And he shall stand, and what's he going to do? Shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Jesus looks out on the crowd. They're like sheep without a shepherd. How does he feel for them? He hurts. It's compassion, deep compassion. And why does he feel it? They need a shepherd. Who's the shepherd? He is. They need me. They need me. Why did he come? We need him. He felt compassion and he came. And look where his compassion took him. John 10, 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, what's the good shepherd do? He lays his life down for the sheep. None of Jesus' sheep have ever run off the cliff. Unless if you want to think of it this way, like a lamb led to the slaughter, Jesus went off the cliff, the cliff of the cross, and when we went off, where did we land? On him. He laid down his life for you. His life for yours, his perfect life in your place to make you righteous. His death for yours to pay for all your sin, to purchase you, to take responsibility for you, to say with joy, Jesus says of all who trust in him, I want to be your shepherd. I'll lead you, I'll guide you, I'll protect you, I'll be responsible for you, I'll be with you. That's what you need, you need me. If you want him this morning, you can have him. So for those of you who've trusted in Jesus, does it, does it mean something to you that he's given himself to you as your shepherd? How valuable is that to you? Where would you put that on the scale of the valuable things you have? Car, Jesus as shepherd. Where would it go? 401K, Jesus as shepherd. Where would it go? I want to know. What, what do you think? How valuable is it to have Jesus say, I'm your shepherd, I'm your king, I'll be yours. I hope as you're thinking about it, you're like, well, I don't always feel it like I want to, but it's, it's the best, it's everything. It's everything. It's life. Hmm. Let's hear his challenge. Verse 37. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Interesting. Jesus says there's a problem. We have a problem. Counterintuitively, maybe, the problem is not the harvest. What does he say about the harvest? It's plentiful. So the harvest, obviously, right, is symbolic. This is Jesus gathering his people to himself, harvesting people, bringing in the sheep to the shepherd, okay? The harvest, he's going to bring his people in. It's plentiful. So many people, they'll come to Jesus. They'll come to him. They'll trust in him. 
But the problem isn't the harvest itself, and this was surprising me again this week. What's the problem? Nobody's going. Nobody's working it. Nobody's laboring. So how's Jesus going to bring in his harvest? What, what does it seem to say from the text? How's he going to bring in his harvest? How's he going to bring people to himself? It seems like he's going to use laborers. Right? There's going to be people who work with him. Laborers. And what do you think they're going to do to bring in the harvest? Just from this little section, what do you think they're going to do? You might ask what Jesus was doing. What was Jesus doing? He was teaching, talking about the reality of God's world from the scriptures. He was also what? Proclaiming, teaching and proclaiming the gospel. He's talking about himself as king. And then the second, he was, he was healing. He was serving. What do you think the workers are going to do? They're probably going to have something to say about God's world. And they're probably going to have something to do. They might not have the miraculous touch. But they can still bring some what? Some healing. Some healing. Why aren't they going? Why did Jesus come? He felt compassion. The problem seems to be a lack of compassion. Not enough workers for the harvest because sometimes the workers don't seem to care enough to do the work. You know, if you see another thing on CNN, the refugees, and you're like, well, that's too bad. And you say, boy, all those people, they don't have Jesus. They're lost like sheep without a shepherd. Well, it's too bad. I wish I could do something. It's awful. What next? Do you see what we're missing sometimes? Listen, I stand up here as the first criminal. The first criminal. Okay, I'm a pastor, all that stuff. There are too many days. I don't care that so many people around me don't know Jesus. I mean, yeah, I care. But I don't care. See, there's a problem with compassion. It's not comfortable. It's totally uncomfortable. When you feel compassion, you're not super happy in that moment. You're bothered. It makes you cry, or it makes you angry, or it makes you distressed. You can't sit in, you can't sit in, compassion, it gets you. And we get tired of feeling compassion. Yes, we do. If you've ever done any really hard work to aid or care for people who are hurting, I used, I used to ride along with police officers, and they have to deal with hard stuff all the time, and, and, and sometimes they can get to a place where they just don't care about the people who are hurting anymore. Why? It's not because they don't care. It's because they had to, it's because they had to pull a drowned kid out of a pool, and they can't sit in that pain all the time, right? It makes sense. Compassion is hard to endure in. But without compassion, at least, at least a deep, maybe one you're not like weeping all the time. That's not what we're asking for, right? <laughs> oh, you know, you can't function anymore. It's not what we're looking for. But without a deep kind of reservoir of compassion, the sex seems to say, we won't act. I think that's probably right. So what do we need to do? 
Not enough workers. What do we need to do? Do you hear what Jesus said? Verse 38. Labors are few. Therefore, pray. You need to pray. I need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray and Jesus, show me again who you are and what you did for me. And we need to pray for workers. God, send, send people to those who need you. Send people to, I mean, think of your friends, your family, your coworkers, the people at the grocery store, the, the nations, the rep, just the people who need Jesus, God, send them. And we need to pray, you know, based on this text, Lord, pray, God, we pray that they would explain your truth well, right? Teach. That's what Jesus did, that he would teach. Help us to explain your truth well, to ask the right questions, to open people's thoughts to why things are the way they are and the, import, the reality of who God is. Lord, help us to teach. Help, help the people to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim Jesus and who he is and what he's done, his life, death, and resurrection. And we need to pray, not just that we'll teach. Lord, help us to Help us to love and to serve and to work for healing somehow. Lord, help, help, help send workers to do what you did. And we need to pray that the workers will have compassion. True story, I have a friend who lost his wedding ring. Now, before you think I'm a huge hypocrite, I dislocated my finger playing basketball. I can't get it on, okay? And when I put it on, it hurts, but I'm deeply in love with my wife. So just in case you know, I'm so super happy married, okay? I can't get it on. Okay, I know I should have it enlarged. I haven't done it yet. I'm sorry, I'm kind of busy. Okay, there. I'll, there's all my emotional angst. You can, you can help me later. I have a friend who lost his wedding ring. And he's telling me how he dropped everything. He was gardening. He, he he dropped everything. He's a busy person. And he went and Google searches. What do I do? Because he looked everywhere. He couldn't find it. So he found a, a, this group of people. They, they have metal, metal detectors, and they will come and help you find your wedding ring. And so, yeah, they go everywhere. There's these people. They, they do it for a hobby. So he calls this super geeky dude up who comes. You know, he's a whole robot set up. You know, and, and, and my friend was like, I'll do anything, whatever you want. Just come. Just help me find it. You know, he, oh, I got it. Oh, sorry. It's a pop can. Uh, true story finds the ring and my friend is just like oh thank you tips him big thank you thank you thank you and then of course my friend's a believer and it just hit him right in the nose this ring was so valuable to him right and he stopped everything because he's got to find it doesn't it remind you of something Jesus said look at Luke 15 What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until what? She finds it. Hey, you want to go do something? No, I'm busy. Well, you want to go? No, I got something. I lost my coin. I lost my ring. But, verse 9, when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. And then Jesus sneaks this in. <laughs> verse 10, just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. At all the cabillions of people on this planet, so broken, so lost, so whatever they are, rich, poor, whatever they are, God, you think, does God even notice one person? Would he care? And Jesus says, I'm telling you, when one person says, Jesus, I need you, be my shepherd. Fireworks in heaven. Yeah! 
We found him. We found her. My friend was telling me the story because he says, I work harder for that ring than I do to share the gospel with people in my life. I was willing to be inconvenienced. I was willing to stop everything. I was willing to be late somewhere. I was willing to spend money because I wanted that ring. But when it comes to sharing the gospel or showing the love of Jesus to other people, I just don't want it that bad. And that's where, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's where this text kind of hits you in the gut. That's what it's doing for me. We don't have the compassion we should have. How can we delight so much in Jesus as our shepherd and not feel a deep compassion for people who don't have him? It should hurt our guts. Splank non guts. Oh. It should be the painful kind of sympathy that moves us to act. You know, I've said it before. There's a grain of truth to this. Sometimes you don't have the opportunities you're looking for to share the gospel. There's a grain of truth to this. Another text, Paul says, pray for opportunities. Okay? For sure. But I also think compassion will make an opportunity. I want to give to the refugee crisis, but I don't know where to give. You could Google it. You see what I mean? Compassion will make an opportunity. Oh, someone's hurting. They need something. Well, man. Don't know. No, compassion will be like, oh, I'll get there somehow, or I'll try. We need to pray that Jesus would give us his compassion for others. His compassion. Because compassion is powerful. Listen, aren't we sometimes more concerned about what our friend might think about us than we are about their life and destiny without Jesus? Aren't you sometimes more concerned with what your friend might think about you than you are about their life and destiny without Jesus? I am. That's not compassion. So we've seen Jesus. He has compassion for us. And listen, he has compassion for us even when we don't have compassion for others. Praise God. Are you happy you're not saved by how compassionate you are? Can I get an amen? Okay. That's one of the sins Jesus died for for me. So this is not a, it's not a condemnation. It's a conviction. I've loved you, Jesus says. Love. So we've seen Jesus, we've seen his challenge, pray for compassion, pray that he would send workers, and now the strange answer to the prayer. You know, Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'd send workers into the harvest. So this is how I pray sometimes for my friends who don't know the Lord. Lord, reveal yourself to that person, send your spirit to them, open their eyes, convict them of their sins, save them. Good prayer or bad prayer? I'm going to go good, right? Okay? That's good. But in this text, mm, it's, a, it's a different level. Now we're, what are we praying for in this text? Send workers. Oh, okay. Lord, I think of my friend, my family, my, whoever. I pray you'd send somebody to them. I pray, God, please just send somebody to them. Send somebody, Lord, to talk to them, to ask them a question, to love them, to serve them. Oh, and you're sliding down a slippery slope. Because what happens next? Here I am, Lord. 
send. Send me. I'm scared. I'm afraid I won't teach it right. I'm not sure I know how to proclaim the gospel right. I can't do miracles like you. It would be awesome if I could be like, walk, paralytic. I can't do that. I can give a little or serve a little or join a team of people doing something, but what I can do is so small, it's so different. Jesus isn't bothered by this at all. Pray for his compassion, and then you, who you are. Remember, who's the Lord of the harvest? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. This is so great. Or let's ask it like this. Who's not the Lord of the harvest? (laughs) Not the Lord of the harvest. I can't save people. I can't do it right. I can't make it right. I, I, I just, I can't. I'm not supposed to be the Lord of the harvest, and neither are you. Send workers. Send workers. So pray. Pray for his compassion. Pray that you'd, you'd be willing to speak. You'd be willing to ask a question. If you need, if you need education or resources on how to, so you can feel better doing that, they're there. Let's do it. Let's go. Talk to me. I'd love to help. You can help me. And let's serve. Let's love somehow. Let's build a bridge but let's go. You know, it's so interesting. Matthew, end of Matthew 9, Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he send out workers. Matthew 10, guess what he does? Out you go. And he sends them out. They are the answer to their prayer. They are the answer to their prayer. For those of you, you're working in the harvest. Good job. Jesus sees it. He knows it. He's with you. Keep going. He's the Lord of the harvest. Keep trusting in him and be encouraged. You're doing it. You're doing it. You're loving. You're speaking. You're there. This is the great work. But for all of us, I know I could use it, right? You don't need to be Jesus. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to work miracles. You need to be you praying for his compassion, his love, and his truth. And then as we feel compassion for those around us, maybe we'll be the answer to our own prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have felt such great compassion for us. Help us to see it, your great love for us. Undeserved, unmerited, so deep. You love us. You laid your life down for us. You care for us. You bring us to your presence to be with you forever. Thank you. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't, hasn't trusted their life to you, repented of their sins, and trusted in you as their, as their shepherd, as their king, Lord, I pray that they'd see what you've done for them on the cross. They'd feel your great love and they'd surrender to you, trust themselves to you even now, and they'd feel your love, your salvation. They'd hear the angels rejoicing. And Lord, for those of us who belong to you already, we confess it, we need more compassion. We need to care again with a new refreshment that people don't have you. And we pray that you send me, Lord, send us to new New places to old places, relationships. Send us, God, with your truth, with your love. And we pray you bring in the harvest. Um, may, May you be gracious to us and bless us. Make your face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Amen.